Well, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Um, something that Michael did not tell you uh, is that my hermeneutics professor in college was him. Uh, so he's probably a little bit more nervous about this than I am. Uh, so thank you for having me here at TCC. Uh, like Michael said, my name is Seth Springs, and to kind of give you the Twitter bio version, uh, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a husband to Taylor, and I'm daddy to Layla, Lily, and Dee. Uh, and so I appreciate you praying for my family. I would rather be uh, doing this with nobody else anywhere else. So uh, if you will go ahead and find your way to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the part that I left off there. I'm also, uh, as Michael said, the pastor to uh, Transformation Church Waterford. And that still sounds incredibly weird uh, because three to four years ago, there was no such thing as Transformation Church Waterford. Like Michael and Emily, we moved to Michigan from North Carolina uh, to start a brand new church from scratch, hoping that somebody might wake up one day and want to come. And uh, so it is a, a, it's been a crazy ride, but we've done so, my wife Taylor and I have done so, with, with this clear vision to see lives transformed by the gospel. That's the vision of Transformation Church, to see lives transformed by the gospel. We, we, we prayed, we worked, we, we, we strived, we served, so that one day we'd be able to look around that room, wherever that room is, uh, and see faces of people who have encountered Jesus and things have changed forever. That's the vision. And so I want to pop a, a picture up here on the screen real quick to kind of show you what worship for us looks like on a normal Sunday. Uh, this was just a, a couple weeks ago, and I know that doesn't look very impressive. Uh, it looks very church planty, uh, but I just want to brag on God because when we moved to Michigan in January of 2018, our church planting team was uh, myself, my wife, and our two-year-old, Layla Lynn. And so God has done an incredible work and answered prayer and uh, is transforming lives in Waterford as I know he is here in Ann Arbor. So uh, I just, I just want to share that as an encouragement because sometimes when you're serving, you're in a church plant, uh, you can be tempted to think that you're serving alone, uh, that you're striving alone, that you're struggling uh, and surviving on God's faithfulness alone. But I want you to know that's not the case. Uh, there are people around the state engaged in work just like this, and it is worth it. Amen. Amen. I'm glad one person over here agreed with it. Amen. It's worth it. Yeah. So go ahead and find your way to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I will pray and we will dive into God's word together. Father God, we love you because you first loved us. And so, Lord, right now we just stop and say thank you for initiating the conversation. Lord, that you demonstrated your love to us. You proved your love to us by coming into the world while we were yet sinners to save us. We say thank you for that. We say thank you for that good news. And so, Lord, I pray that tonight you would give us a refresher in this good news. Lord, that we would have an encounter with the one true living God through the thing known as the gospel. And Lord, I pray that whether we've been a Christian for eight minutes or 80 years, that you would awaken us tonight to the glory of your grace. It would not grow old. It would not grow stale. But would we, would we know that we need Jesus now as much as ever? Lord, would you do that work in us? Would you make us tonight desperate for you? And Lord, I do pray that this would be your gospel, in your power, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Like I said, go ahead and find your way to Romans chapter 1 tonight. Romans chapter 1. We're just going to camp out in one verse. And to give you an idea of what's going on in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, 
uh, Jesus Christ of Nazareth has come. He has died, he has risen again, and he has now ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. But the church, the body of Christ, has been left here on earth to carry out his business. The gospel is being preached near and far. The church is growing like wildfire, but not without persecution. All over the world, as the gospel is proclaimed, Christians are being imprisoned, even dying for this thing known as the gospel of Jesus. One such Christian is a guy that goes by the name of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul was a man who was chosen by God to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. And at this point in Romans chapter 1, Paul has been beaten, Paul has been flogged, Paul has been mocked, Paul has been stoned, and he's been thrown into prison multiple times, all for this thing known as the gospel. Yet listen to what he writes, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. The apostle Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and also to the Greek. We got time. Let's read it one more time. This is good stuff. For I am not ashamed. Everybody say ashamed. Ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I'm not going to shrink back. I'm not embarrassed. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and also to the Greek. As we kick off tonight, let me, let me ask you a question. Has anything ever happened in your life that you will never get over? Has anything ever happened in your life that you will never get over? One of those life-altering, smack-you-in-the-face, there-is-no-rebound moment. Have you ever had one of those? I know I have as I was driving over here this evening. I was thinking about a couple. The, the first would be the first time I ever saw my wife, Taylor. I know that sounds cheesy and like I'm trying to get brownie points, and maybe I am. But, but it's, it really is a moment I'll never get over. I was working as a waiter in a uh, barbecue place called Big Bob Gibson's Barbecue. And she walked in. She was looking for a job as a hostess. And when she did, when I saw her walk through the door, I nudged the lady beside me. I said, I'm going to marry that girl. And sure enough, 10 years later, I've been married to her for eight years. Uh, another one I was thinking about, this I'll never get over this moment, is when our first child was born, right? And they call this moment beautiful, but uh, while mama is beautiful and baby is beautiful, that stuff that happens in between is something else entirely. I'll never get over it. I'll never rebound. I will remember that for the rest of my life. Another one, I, I know you don't care this much about me, but, but just um, entertain me for a moment. Another one I was thinking about is uh, back in 2017, my wife and our 16-month-old then, Layla Lynn, uh, had the chance to live in Johannesburg, South Africa for three months working among a hard-to-reach people group. It was one of the greatest times of my entire life. And I remember one day we did something touristy. Uh, We went to this uh, building. We went to the top floor, and it's called the Top of Africa because the top of this building has a higher elevation point than any other place in Africa. It is literally the Top of Africa. Right now, I'm a little boy from nowhere, and so I'm just enthralled by this. I mean, you see the, the, the sprawling city of Johannesburg, and then you see Africa in the distance. Something I'll never forget. I will never get over it. What Paul is writing here to say in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, is that the gospel happened to me, and I'll never get over it. 
I've had an encounter with with the good news about Jesus, and it has rocked me. I I am totally right. This will will be a part of my life. It will define me, as we sang earlier, for the rest of my life. Paul writes to say, I'll never get over the gospel. And hear me, in Romans chapter 1, a lot has happened. And so Paul writes to say, time has passed. Treasuring Christ, time has passed. People have come and gone. A lot has happened. The struggle is real, but I'm not ashamed. I'm still madly in love with the work of Jesus. And church, I believe that's the Lord's charge to us this afternoon. Here's our big idea. Never get over the gospel. Never get over the gospel. This verse, Romans 1.16, is a declaration of Paul's undying love and commitment to the good news about Jesus. He's like Buddy the Elf rushing in his dad's office, spinning around and saying, I'm in love and I'm in love and I don't care who knows it. For I am unashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And so let me ask you another question. Have you gotten over the gospel? Have you gotten over the gospel? Do you still get butterflies? Do you feel like you're going on a first date when you hear the gospel preached? Let me ask you, when's the last time you thought about the work of Jesus on the cross, out of the tomb, and in your life? The last time you thought about that, and it actually brought some sort of emotion out of you. Have you gotten over the gospel? Does the thought of God's love displayed for you at the blood-soaked cross of Christ still do something in your heart? It's easy to get caught up in this cycle of Facebook post and Twitter tweet and Instagram gramming. I mean, I don't know what you call that stuff, but whatever comes on the news, it's easy to get caught up in that cycle and just forget what Jesus has done for us, what has been accomplished. We focus so much on what's going to happen that we forget what's been accomplished on our behalf. Have you gotten over the gospel? Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. And so this evening as we strive to remember the glory of the gospel, as we strive to fall deeper in love with Jesus, we need to ask three questions, three questions about Paul's declaration. Here's the first one. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? And I know this question seems uh, awfully elementary, Maybe you've heard it a thousand times, but one of the most dangerous things we can ever do is to assume the gospel, because uh, the gospel assumed is the gospel forgotten, and the gospel forgotten is the gospel gotten over. Let's not assume the gospel. Paul says, I am unashamed of the gospel, but what is this gospel? How would you answer that question? Yeah, I'm sure at school or at work, at home, you have somebody near you who does, know, does not know Christ. What would, how would you answer that question? Hey, what is the message of Christianity? 
For some of us, when we try to define the gospel, it just fits in with a bunch of other spiritual goop, uh, Christianese words, right? Like anointed, communion, casserole, potluck, right? Just fits in there. Maybe, maybe, well, what is the gospel? Maybe you say Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. For others, I, I got to say this because we're close to Motown. Maybe for you, it's a genre of music. Aretha Franklin. For me, it was that awful southern gospel music. You got a banjo. You can't have gospel without a banjo. What's the gospel? Some of us may have been taught false gospel. What's a false gospel? Well, one of those is a works-based gospel that goes after uh, behavior modification instead of heart transformation. A a, a false gospel, a works-based gospel that says, hey, be a good little boy, be a good little girl, and God will love you. Obey and be blessed. Be better, try harder, live a good life, and God will accept you based on your merit. Anybody ever been taught that? Anybody ever heard that? It's a false gospel. It's not the gospel that Paul was so unashamed of. Another of these false gospels is the prosperity gospel. You flip on the TV and you hear, hey, sow a seed of faith, and God will multiply it. God is about your happiness, so just give this amount of money, buy this prayer hanky, and God will bless you. This is not the gospel that Paul was talking about. It's not what Paul is pointing to. In the original Greek, uh, Paul, th- this word he uses for gospel simply means good news. Now, y'all didn't do too good on the first time, so we just try. Everybody say good news. Good news, yeah. Yeah, good news. That's what this word gospel means. The gospel is a very specific message that refers to the good news about Jesus Christ. The gospel. That Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth to save sinners by dying on the cross and rising from the dead three days later. This is the very specific message that is the good news about Jesus. The Apostle Paul, the same guy, spells it out for us in another book. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, listen to what he says. He says, now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you. For I passed on to you as most important. Hey guys, this is a big deal. Don't assume it, don't get over it, camp out here. You're never going to graduate from this gospel. For I passed on to you as of, of most importance what I also received. Here it is. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. This is the gospel. Try this one. This, this, this may be my favorite one. First Timothy, Paul again writes to his disciple Timothy. First Timothy 1.15. He says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Write this down. Make a little note. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners... And I am the worst of them. The Apostle Paul is saying, if God can save me, if this gospel can work in my life, it can work in anybody's life. If Jesus can rescue this sinner, he can rescue that sinner. I love again how Paul says it, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Now I'm going to try, listen, I need you to forgive me, show me a little gospel grace, because I'm going to try to say this as many times, as many ways as possible. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God proves his own love for us. God did something. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Man, think about that. The gospel is that you couldn't get to God, so God came to you. 
You see, every other false gospel gives you a ladder and says, here's how you get to God. In the gospel, Jesus, God, came down the ladder to you. Man, have you gotten over the gospel? Have you gotten over the gospel? You said, why did I bring this flower vase? Well, tonight this is not a flower vase. No, this is the full wrath of God, right? And it's full to the brim. This is the gospel. That because of our sin, we deserve the full cup of God's wrath. God's judgment, God's condemnation, death and hell forever should be poured out on us because of our sin. That's bad news. But here's the gospel good news. At the cross, the full wrath of God was not poured out on us. It was poured out on his son, Jesus. And because judgment and condemnation and death and hell forever were poured out on Jesus, love and grace and forgiveness and eternal life can be poured out on us. This is the good news of the gospel. Jesus in our place. You say, Seth, I can't remember the 42 Bible verses you, you gave me already. Well, just remember these four words. Jesus in my place. That's the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus in my place. That's what the gospel is. Jesus in my place. Have you gotten over it? Here's the second question we got to ask. What is the gospel? It's the very specific good news about Jesus. Number two, what does the gospel do? What, is, what, what does the gospel do? Verse 16 again, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news about Jesus, because it is the power of God for salvation. For it is the power of God for salvation. Imagine this tonight. You, you, you come in and, and school's back in session. You're excited to be back with TCC, right? You've, you've been looking forward to it all summer long. Finally, you're here, 4.30 comes, and you see Chris and Michael standing up here. They're sweating, they're, they're scratching their head. 4.45 comes, and Chris, Pastor Chris grabs the mic, and he says, Guys, listen, I need to apologize. We had a guest uh, pastor come in to preach tonight, and he's nowhere to be found. I guess we'll just have to sing some songs, pray, and, and eat some not pizza, and, and go home. Well, then about that time, uh, 4.45 and 30 seconds, I come running in the back door. I'm huffing and puffing. I, I, I mean, I'm out of breath. And I say, wait a minute, I'm here and I, and I can preach. I, I'm, I'm excited to be here. I'm sorry I'm late. But then I give you this story. I said, listen, I was, I was going to be here on time. I, I was going to be early. I'm an early person. I was going to be here early. But I was coming down 94, running early. And all of a sudden, I got a flat tire. And so I'm a manly man. I'm not calling AAA. I'm going to pull over and I'm going to change my tire. So I pull over uh, at the median, I, I get ready to change my tire, I get the jack and the little spinny thing out, and I'm, I'm going to work. And then all of a sudden, one of my lug nuts rolls out into the middle of 94, four-laner traffic. Listen, I don't know if I look like it, but I'm an athlete, I'm fast. And so I said, listen, ain't no problem, I'll just go out there and get the lug nut. So I juke and jive, I'm, I'm doing my best Barry Sanders impression, I grab my lug nut, yep, out of all the lug nuts, this is mine. I look up, and wouldn't you know it, there's an 18-wheeler bearing down on me. And TCC, I'm fast. But I'm not that fast. I'm just not that fast, man. And so, man, smack, runs me over, head-on collision with an 18-wheeler. Now, of course, show me a little grace. I let a few seconds pass. 
And I'm lying there, and I remember, I'm supposed to be at TCC. i got to preach the gospel. And so I peel myself up off of 94. I brush my britches off, and I'm here 15 minutes late. Can you please show me a little grace? And you would say, no, because you're a liar and you're crazy. Because you know when somebody has a head-on collision with an 18-wheeler, things drastically change, right? You don't just dust, a, uh, dust off your britches. When you, when you have a head-on collision with a Mack truck, things are moved around. There's some transformation that happens. Well, listen to what Paul says. He says the gospel is the power of God at work for salvation. A Mack truck has some power, but the power of God at work for salvation is greater than the power of a Mack truck. So if you have a head-on collision with the gospel of grace, some things get moved around. Y'all don't get excited. Listen, when you have a head-on collision with the good news about Jesus, that the Son of God came to earth, he lived a perfect life, he died on your cross, and he rose three, three days later, things change, three, things are moving around, things are transformed. That's what the gospel does. The gospel powerfully transforms. It powerfully saves. It is the power of God for salvation. You cannot have an encounter with Christ and remain the same. Paul paints a beautiful picture of this powerful salvation in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes, i got to calm down, catch my breath. It says, you were once dead in your trespasses and sins. That's past tense. You were once dead in your trespasses and sins. We were by nature children under wrath. Remember the vase. We were by nature children under wrath, but... Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, but God. Everybody say, but God. All right, we're, we're getting better. All right, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. Hear this, you are saved by grace. This is what the gospel does. From death to life, from darkness to light, powerful transformation, from enemy of God to family of God, and it's all by grace. The unmerited favor of God poured out on you. Paul says the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And remember this, Paul knew it from experience. Paul wasn't just talking about it, Paul knew about it. Remember Paul's life. If you, if you flip back to the book of Acts, we see in the book of Acts that Paul, in his former life, went from town to town persecuting Christians for believing the gospel. Paul would go town to town dragging Christians from their home, uh, from workplaces, dragging them to prison and even to martyrdom. Paul says that he held martyrs or, or people who were murdering martyrs, he held their jackets and he did so with pleasure. He approved of it. But now we look at Romans chapter 1, and he's gone from, a persecuted, uh, from, from uh, one persecuting Christians now to a persecuted Christian. Now he goes from town to town sharing the good news about Jesus. This is a powerful transformation, a powerful salvation that's happened to Paul. And you say, Seth, that's nice and all, but that's an old book. Right, you see, we're educated folks over here at U of M, and we got new books. We get new books every semester, and they charge us way too much for them. say, how, how do you know that this is still real? How, how do you know that the gospel, this is a question, how do you know that the gospel still works? 
I know the gospel still works because I'm not always who I should be, but I'm definitely not who I used to be. I can tell you tonight, I can stand here at TCC in uh, August of 21, I can tell you tonight that I know the gospel still works because it's still working on me. Can I tell you, I'm not even supposed to be here. Can I tell you what kind of grace that it is that Michael would call me and say, hey, would you come, would you come down and just preach God's word? In the spring of 1992, my parents were married, but they were married to different people. I was a product of an affair born December 22nd, 1992. Then I grew up in a home that was shattered, shattered by brokenness, uh, uh, adultery, addiction. My mom, we found out when I was in the fifth grade, was, was addicted to crack cocaine. My biological father was nowhere to be found. I have three, three, three brothers. We, we, we all have different dads. But in the sixth grade, the gospel didn't work on me. It worked on my mom. After getting pulled over leaving a crack house with my uh, infant little brother in, in the back seat, she was taken to a place, a Christian rehab facility called the Grace Home. <laughs> and the gospel happened to my mom. And then my mom came home from the Grace Home, and she brought this thing called a Bible, and she placed it in my lap, and she said, I know you don't want to, but you're going to read this. And every once in a while, when I, when I wasn't so mad at God, I would pick it up and I would flip through it. In freshman year of high school, it took three years, but when I was a freshman in high school, the gospel happened to me too. I said, man, it happened to my mom and it's real. This isn't just a phase, it's happened. She's not just clean for, for, for three days. Something's really happened to my mom. And then as a freshman in high school, the gospel happened to me. And so you say, Seth, how do you know the gospel works? Because it's working on me. And I can tell you, 12 years past that, 12 years later, it's still working on me. We're, we're, I, I mentioned our son, uh, D. We're mentioned, you, you say, how does the gospel fit in everyday life? That's a good question. Boy, this is nowhere in my notes, so forgive me. How does the gospel fit into everyday life? What does the gospel do? This is what the gospel does. A couple weeks ago, we're, we're having a hard time with daycare, right? Dude is flipping out every day at daycare. I don't know why. He's, he's, sweet, he's the sweetest boy ever, but he's biting people, he's kicking people, like elbow drops off the top rope, all of it. Now I'm frustrated. Every day, picking up from school, and it's a bad report, right? And I'm doing the mad dad, squeeze the steering wheel kind of thing. Tuesdays are visit days. Worst day of the week. I hate Tuesdays. Tuesdays are when I take D to his visit with his biological father. And D, who I'm daddy to all week, squirms out of my arms and runs to dad. I remember the, like the third time that I did it, I went to the car and I said, God, I'm done. And the Holy Spirit, as loud as I've ever heard him, said, but Seth, even when you don't choose me, I still choose you. Listen, I'm not doing foster care because I'm a good person. If it was up to what kind of person I was, I'd have quit six months ago. But this is what the gospel does, church. Even when you don't choose me, I'm still choosing you. Even when you're quiet, you don't want anything to do with me, I'm still initiating a conversation. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. What is the gospel? It is 
the good news about Jesus. What does the gospel do? It powerfully transforms. I have no business up here. Let that be living proof. Third question. This might be my favorite one. Who is the gospel for? What is the gospel? What does the gospel do? And number three, who is the gospel for? Look back one more time. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news about Jesus, because it is the power of God for salvation. Here we go. To everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. To everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greeks. You say, Seth, who in the world are these people? Well, Paul mentions two groups of people here. First the Jews and then the the Greeks, the Gentiles. The Jews were known as God's chosen people. A people that had been called, delivered, and blessed by God throughout the Old Testament. A people who had the law. A people who knew the rules. They they knew the regulations. They knew it all. They knew where they were supposed to be, when they were supposed to be there. But they were also a people who had replaced God with religion a long, long time ago. Maybe, Maybe you know somebody like that. That's the Jews, then there were the Greeks. The Greeks, the Gentiles. The, Greek, the, the Greeks, the Gentiles were those who were seemingly left out of the Old Covenant. They were a people who were known as godless pagans. The Jews would call the Gentiles uh, Samaritan dogs. These, these were an idolatrous people worshiping idols instead of the one true God. The, the Jews, if the Jews were to pass a Greek in the marketplace, they would have looked at them and, and said there's no hope. They're some of those people. Those people. Because of this, the Jews and Gentiles hated one another. There were racial differences. There were religious differences. There were political and social differences. And so what God does, what Paul is talking about here... Uh, Man, it is so countercultural. The differences make anti-vax and pro-vax look like small potatoes. So this is super countercultural. But what God does, look at this. Who's the gospel for? To everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. What God does here, though there are all these kind of differences, what God does is extend an open invitation. Who's the gospel for? To everyone who believes. Hear this. If you're struggling to know who the Christian message was intended for, right? Have you ever, anybody ever written an email? Right? And with every message, there, there's a sender and an intended recipient. Who's the intended recipient of the gospel? We hear this. No matter race, no matter color, no matter gender, no matter age, no matter language, religion, family status, political affiliation, sin preference, or opinion, the invitation of the gospel is meant for everyone who believes. It is for you. The gospel is for you. It is for your neighbor. It's the one who votes like you and does not vote like you. No matter your past or your present, no matter how much baggage you have sitting in that chair next to you, the gospel is the power of God for salvation, and it is available to everyone who believes. That includes the Jew, the stale church attender, right? The one who's been holding down the pew for 80 years and ain't moved in 80 years. It's the one who knows the book backwards and forwards, but still does not know Jesus. The gospel 
is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And that includes the irreligious, the prodigal, the reckless, the outcast, the mess up, the never was, the hopeless, the failure, and the forgotten. The gospel is for you too. The gospel, who's it for? It is an open invitation. Romans uh, chapter 10, verse 9 says it this way. If you, whoever you are, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's an open invitation. Who is the gospel for? Everyone who believes. Based on Romans chapter 1, verse 16. This is what we know. The gospel is the good news about Jesus that powerfully saves and everyone is invited. Let me ask you this. As school gets ready to come back in and we find some level of routine, who is God inviting you to invite? And I don't just mean to church, right? I, like I know Michael and, and Chris, like church matters. We started one for a reason. But I'm not asking you, who is God inviting you to invite to church? I'm asking you, who is God inviting you to invite to Jesus? Because Jesus saves. Jesus powerfully transformed. Who in your life needs to know Jesus? And how are you inviting that person to him? Because they are indeed invited. So what do we do with this? What do we do with Romans chapter 1, verse 16? Well, first let's go back to that first question. Have you gotten over the gospel? Has the good news become old news to you? Tonight, it's my prayer that God would help you remember. There's something that I've said, something we've seen in God's Word. Man, it's just knocked the algae off the side of the pool. Right? That God's stirring in the room, and He's moving in you, and you've just remembered, wow, Jesus in my place. Has the gospel gotten old to you? Have you gotten over the gospel? Number two, has the gospel ever happened to you? The first question I asked tonight was, has anything ever happened to you that you can never get over. Here's the final question. Has the gospel ever happened to you? Have you ever had that Mack truck experience where God stopped you, he, he, he stopped you in your tracks, stunned you in your tracks with his glory and grace? Has that ever happened to you? Has it ever uh, come, come, come to, to a head where you saw Jesus crucified and resurrected and you said, I gotta follow him? Has that ever happened to you? Let's never get over the gospel.